You're listening to County Conversations, a podcast brought to you by the New York State Association of Counties. This episode features a snapshot from our legislative team on the county impact from the 2023 state legislative session. NYSAC's legislative director, Ryan Gregoire, is joined by our counsel, Patrick Cummings, for the conversation. Today, we're going to be covering the last few days of the 2023 state legislative session and some of the uh, significant pieces of legislation that have passed through both houses and have either already made their way to the governor's desk or soon uh, will be making their way to the governor's desk for her consideration. Um, You know, I guess right off the top here, I just want to say this has been a very strange legislative session. Uh, There was a delayed budget which truncated the Mm -hmm. amount of time state lawmakers had to work on policy towards the end of the year, which um, really forced a large volume of bills to pass through both houses without the same level of scrutiny, I guess, as in the past. Um, So that made it very difficult for staff, for members, and then for all of us trying to influence the legislation to work collaboratively on, on some larger policy areas, which is why I think you've probably read news stories that said there wasn't some big, ugly, or some giant policy proposal because there just wasn't enough time. Simply, there wasn't enough time yeah. to work on more complex issues. Typically, it's April 1st, budget gets done, and then late June, uh, the legislature gets out of town. This year, it was, I mean, only a few weeks between the, the end of, when, by the time the budget was done and uh, it was the beginning of June that, uh, they, that they, the legislature left. So only leaving a few weeks to negotiate a lot of important bills that that did get uh, introduced and and passed that we'll talk about. Now, that being said, you know, the lawmakers in Albany passed 896 bills through both houses. That's on par for a normal, typical legislative session. Um, Interestingly enough, it's more bills than most other states combined in our country. So New York does produce and, and pass quite a number of bills. There's, old, there's over 15,000 bills that have been introduced to this session already. And we're in, remember, session is a two-year time frame, so we're only in that first year of yep. bill introductions. But, you know, one of the largest bills, uh, not largest, but one of the most significant pieces of legislation that we focused on this year was dealing with in-rem tax foreclosures. This was uh, a hot topic during budget negotiations, We opposed the governor's proposal that was included in her budget for a variety of reasons, one of which being we wanted to wait and see what the Supreme Court was going to do in the Tyler Hennepin decision. They came out with that decision days before the end of session, and the legislature um, was really interested in moving policy in this space uh, to try and not only deal with what the Supreme Court decided, but look at more comprehensive Article 11 tax law uh, reform. And at the end of the day, Pat, you know, the legislature did end up passing just one bill, and that was a temporary moratorium on uh, tax foreclosure proceedings. That's Uh, correct. So can you tell us a little bit about what that moratorium is? Sure. And and then maybe we can talk about some of the other bills that were considered, but we successfully stopped. Yeah, well, let's even back up a little bit because it's, it's such a complex system, and I think that's why they did a moratorium. It is such a complex system, what we're talking about. We're talking about foreclosing on property when individuals uh, 
uh, can't or don't pay for multiple years their property taxes. Um, the potential for a municipality in the state of New York's case, uh, the law has a municipality has uh, the duty to um, try to work with that individual and then when they can't pay to foreclose on that property, take the title in some cases, again, it's complex. In most cases, take the title and then auction that property off to make sure it gets back on the tax rolls after again, a number of years of an individual not paying. Mostly in New York, this is a county uh, responsibility. Um, there are places like Westchester County where it's a town responsibility put in their charter. Uh, there's a lot of cities that operate this as well. And sure. then there's moving pieces like land banks where uh, yeah. they'll, they'll try to get uh, brownfields or other kind of properties um, and the municipality hands that property over to the land banks and they rehab it and get it back on the roll. So um, there's a lot of different systems out there. What we did know from the, 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 the Supreme Court case is that in New York, we're a little bit unique, uh, us and a few other states. Um, where we get to, as a municipality, if in the rare case that, let's say, $10,000 of taxes are owed, but then the property is auctioned for $15,000, we're, we're able to keep that overage. Uh, we we're able to keep the excess funding. Um, and the rationale behind that, I know that, that that sounds like an eyebrow raiser, right? And it certainly was for the court. <laughs> they decided they can't do it. It was uh, in, in New York's case, again, uh, we, for counties, we don't, we don't make money on these properties um, in the overall grand scheme because we need to make schools whole immediately. We need to make towns whole immediately. Mm -hmm. um, and we lose a lot of money on the properties that we're foreclosing on um, because some are worth actually less than any value due to, you know, again, damage to the property or something. And uh, the excess kind of kept us afloat. We are sure. no longer to able to keep that excess. We know that for a fact. That is law now, right? Um, so then what was the state looking to do? That's what was decided in Tyler. That's, that, was decided in the, the, that was the Supreme Court case. So now the state's looking at this and saying, we need a whole new system yeah. um, now that we can't have that. And now we've got multiple bills coming in all at once with the last few days of session on, well, how are we going to resolve this? And again, considering every different place around the state uh, did it differently. Um, and, um, you know, what, what are we going to do? Ultimately, the decision came down to let's hold on all these different bills in this decision. We're going to put a pause on municipalities. Uh, again, this, this was just passing both houses. It hasn't been signed into law yet. Um, the, the solution was let's put a pause on this to figure out what to do with this overage. Is it going to go to some kind of um, uh, escrow? Uh, and then how that's going to be delivered back? And when is that going to be delivered back to the original property owner? Um, let's, we'll figure this all out at later legislation, but for now, we're going to put a pause on allowing a municipality to foreclose and take title from these lands um, for at least, I think it's up to what is it, June of next year. Is the that end the, of June the, of next year, yeah. And, and there was a window by which when this bill was passed that you can still, uh, a, a county, city, town uh, could take title. Um, and I believe it was that up to July, what was, do you up know? Up to remember? July 1st. Up to yeah. July 1st, where if the if municipalities took that title, uh, by then, they can still auction it off, um, even within this moratorium uh, time period. But uh, if it didn't occur before that, we got to put a pause on everything until next legislative session uh, when they're looking to come up with a, uh, fixing this complex system or, or coming with a more uniform system. I don't know if fixing is the right word. More uniform system. Um, but until then, this moratorium puts a pause on all of that if and when signed into law. Right. So for our members, the key to think about here on the in-rem issue, there were a lot of 
potentially dramatic reforms to the process that were being considered by the state legislature. None of those bills passed through both houses. In fact, none of them moved through either chamber. Rather, they decided to go with this in rem moratorium. But again, as Pat mentioned, it's not law right now. The governor still has to sign it. So the next question is, well, when is she going to sign it? We don't know. In New York State, the governor can call a bill or the legislature has the authority to send her a bill. Mm -hmm. So that can happen still. Um, when exactly that process is going to occur, we don't know. Um, we know it'll be by December 31st. That's by, by they have yes. to send it before year end or else it's an automatic veto on that end. So they're, they're gonna send it between any time between now and December 31st. December 31st, right. So, the, but the next step of this process is, and I think you've heard this from Pat now, we at NISAC and other stakeholders in the game like the Land Banks Association, for example, we will be working on a policy that we can give to the legislature to ease some of the concerns that we've identified in these other bills. And we don't need to get into that right now, but you should know that we're gonna be working to try and get a long-term solution in place. And then once that bill is passed and enacted into law, the moratorium would go away. We would have a repeal provision. Not to get too technical, but we would essentially repeal the moratorium and this new law would take effect. So what I wanna do now is actually talk about some good policy and also some other uh, pieces of legislation that have passed through both houses that do have some troubling elements and we're gonna be looking for either some modifications or a veto message from the governor. But let's start with uh, highlighting some legislation that has a positive impact for county governments. One of which that I wanna share with everyone now is there was a bill, and this was sponsored by Assemblymember McDonald, Senator Cooney, that would allow assessed property under a pilot agreement to be factored into the calculation for determining tax levy growth. Now, why is that important? It allows pilot projects uh, to be included in your allowable growth factor, giving you a little additional wiggle room on how much you can increase your property tax levy if you need to. Um, again, it's just a tool to make it a little bit easier if you're facing some financial burdens in your county. So that's a good piece of legislation. We'll be looking for the governor to sign that bill. There was another bill that um, would allow counties and other municipalities the ability to go out and bond for acquisition and infrastructure improvements for broadband projects. That's going to be helpful when the Connect All program starts rolling out federal dollars and state dollars for additional broadband expansion. So another piece of good, of good legislation. There was a bill, Pat, um, that expanded the workers' compensation pool. Yep. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And I, we've been fighting this for yeah. you know, uh, 25 years now. Yeah. Why is this helpful? It's, you know, it, we're, we're employers. We're, we're large employers, counties. Um, and uh, as employers, you're going to have to provide workers' comp, whether you're doing that as a self-insured pool or you're, or you're, um, you're joining a, a group of some kind. This, this bill um, really allows more municipalities uh, and counties uh, that have current worker comp pools um, to join what's called you know, public group self-insured 
programs, um, and then also has some some advantages with uh, allowing for deductible options. Ultimately, it's designed to reduce worker comp costs, right? Yes. Yeah. You can you can make your pools bigger, reduce mm. risk, theoretically, hopefully, lower costs because of that uh, with these deductions. So it's, there's potential savings and potential more options for counties to. Uh, procure and join uh, workers' comp pools, um, for which, you know, more competition should drive down prices. Going to these pools potentially should, uh, larger pools should be able to uh, lower your workers' comp prices. It gives you more flexibility. Great. So that's another option that hopefully will save some counties some funding. Um, there's been a couple of bills that have actually already been signed into law, priority bills of NISACs. A few years ago now, we were successful in um, getting a piece of legislation enacted that would expand investment options for counties to be inclusive of what New York City already has the ability to do. And this has generated um, significant additional financial benefits for counties that you would have otherwise had to go out and obtain through your taxpayers. But this additional revenue um, has allowed you to, to make some of those offsets. So that bill has been extended. They did another two-year extension on that authority, which is a good piece of news, both for New York City and for the other 57 counties. There was another program that extends uh, the open auction bond sale pilot program. So right now, since uh, 2019, municipalities and counties have been able to conduct open auction public bond sales. And the reason why that's important is it allows you to reach a larger pool of potential buyers for your bonds. So you should, in theory, be able to get better rates, and that, again, lowers costs for uh, developing infrastructure. And then, Pat, there was another bill um, that dealt with the reappointment and appointment of notaries mm -hmm. that has been signed into law. Can you tell us what that does? Sure. Um, for attorneys out there that are notaries, for anyone that is a notary, um, but also uh, especially through your county clerk's offices, there's been some changes in that world. Uh, uh, E-notaries. So um, we can to get new notaries. There was a law last year um, that this is going to go through the Department of State. Um, this new uh, bill that was just passed made uh, clear and um, arguably changed. I think actually did just it changed the process for renewals. That's they're no longer going to go through the county clerk's office the for existing notaries. The renewals are going to go through the Department of State as well. Uh, the clerks worked closely with the OS and the state on this. There, the the fees will still come to the local. Uh, areas of uh, the local government and the counties as we typically got. And then more, uh, just as importantly, the clerks will still be getting the, all this information in real time because they need to know that these notaries um, are currently active and accurate um, when for a number of reasons with documents and doc, uh, document authorization that come into their offices. Uh, they're working with the Department of State on making sure when when those E-notaries are going in, the clerks are getting those in real time, um, and they're, they're doing software upgrades and working with them directly to make sure that, the, that that's happening, that handoff is happening on the local end. So it's another efficiency measure, really. It's an efficiency measure, but it was one of those things that we wanted to make sure we were doing it right uh, because we want to make sure that information was getting to the locals who really need that in the ground in real time. Mm -hmm. um, so it was definitely an efficient measure for the consumer yeah. to go get this done online. But then we also want to make sure the information was getting out quickly and accurately to the locals that need it to then provide further services for the residents. And it's it 
it was a process, but it's worked out. It's 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 been it's uh, it worked out. And and thank you, Pat, for negotiating that bill because I know you put a lot of work in with the governor's office. Yeah, to the, get, the clerks' to get association did. So they did a yeah. great job, and they worked well with the LS. I mean, there was uh, they 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 they're having weekly meetings now to make sure that this process goes smoothly. So it was a good collaboration. A couple other bills that we partnered with NYSHO, the County Health Officials Association, on this year uh, that actually passed through both houses. One of which would allow the commissioner of the Department of Health to reform the Article 28 um, regulations and Article 36 regulations to no longer require county health departments to go through that very arduous bureaucratic process of uh, maintaining their licensing within both of those uh, Article 28, Article 36 of the public health law. This is going to ease up your burden from your health departments. If you talk to your directors and your commissioners, uh, they are ecstatic about this bill. We're hoping the governor will sign this, and you know Senator Rivera, who is the chair of the health committee, and Assemblymember Pollan, who's the chair of the health committee in the in the assembly, have been uh, instrumental partners with us on this. So we thank them for their for their assistance as well. A couple of bills that I wanted to highlight um, that we were able to successfully stop, and you know I want to talk about some legislation that is problematic that we're going to be looking for uh, the governor to veto. But there was some legislation that was moving through the process uh, pretty rapidly that would have prohibited counties from voluntarily going out there and requiring individuals who are on probation to uh, essentially pay a fee for the process of monitoring and screening and testing them when they're placed on probation. Um, it's called the End Predatory Fees Act. That bill did not advance this year, um, in part because that revenue is used to pay for the probation departments. Um, right now, state aid for probation departments is less than 9%. So that's an example of a bill that we were able to uh, stop from passing. It would have had a negative financial impact to counties. We stopped that from passing. There was another bill uh, that would have mandated significant changes to IDAs. Um, and I want to thank Onondaga County for bringing this to our attention. Again, that bill did not advance. It would have had a significant impact on Micron and some of the economic development work that's happening in Onondaga County, as well as other communities across the state that bill uh, did not advance. So that that's another piece of good news. But, you know, when you have a session that includes almost 900 bills, some of them are not going to be favorable to counties, despite our best efforts. Um, and that's why I, and I bring this to everyone's attention because, you know, right now in the legislative cycle, even though the Senate and Assembly are not in session, most of these bills still have yet to be delivered to the governor. And the governor has a couple of different options. She can either sign bills when they're presented to her, she can outright veto bills, and she can negotiate what's called a chapter amendment. Most bills get signed as written. Some, a very small amount, will get vetoed. And then the other chunk of bills, maybe a third or less probably, uh, maybe 100 bills or so, will get negotiated through chapter amendments. And basically what that means is the governor agrees to sign the bill 
as long as the legislature uh, passes and then delivers a subsequent piece of legislation called a chapter amendment to amend that law that she just signed in into law. And that happens in the next scheduled session. So um, that's what we mean when we talk about a chapter amendment, but I just wanted to make sure everyone understood what that, what that is. It's important in this context because if you hear any of these bills that we talked about before that you like or don't like, um, and they've just passed both houses, they haven't been signed yet, um, this is another swing at that pitch. I mean, we, we have the ability to, and this is at, at NISAC we will be, we'll be advocating to make changes on, the, on, on, on some of these bills that, that are helpful to counties. But, but definitely on your end, your voice is always needed. So um, it's definitely, you know. And I know we hadn't mentioned a lot of the bill numbers now. We have on our website our past both houses. Uh, we do document. So you can find this in every bill. Uh, I don't mind. I did a great job putting that together. Every bill that, I know he was in 900 bills, but every bill, he, we've isolated out everyone that has impact directly to counties. Um, so what is it down it's to? It's report. 80, 100, something like that. I don't, I don't know the number, but dozens and dozens. Uh, it's in our report with the numbers. So you can find these and every bill um, to, to find the bill number and, and who's the sponsor. Yeah, so on, on some of these more problematic pieces of legislation, um, one of them was a bill that uh, ended up passing both houses. We were successful in stopping it last session, but we knew that this was going to come up again um, in this session, and that is dealing with the timing of local elections, county elections and town elections for non-constitutional officers. So what does that mean? County executives county legislators, county supervisors, town supervisors, town council members. Um, your county clerks, your DAs, your sheriffs, your judges, those are exempt from this bill that we're talking about. And what it does is beginning in 2025 mm -hmm. for races that are either, if you're running in 2025 or if you're running in a future year in an odd year, your term will be adjusted so then you will be running on an even year. So let me give you an example because I know that's confusing. If you're running in November of 2025, say for a four-year term, that would run from January 1st, 26 through December 31st, 2030, uh, 2029, and you would normally run on December in November of 2029, your term is going to be shortened by a year. So you're going to have a three-year term, so you're going to be running in 2028. So if you're running in 2025 for a four-year term, it's really only going to be a three-year term. If you're running for a two-year term, it's really only going to be a one-year term. And then once you're on an even cycle, you go back to your full term. Um, we have an issue with this legislation primarily because it disrupts local home rule authority. Right now, if a county wants to move their elections, if they want to change their terms, you can do that through local option. Mm -hmm. You can do this locally. Um, this bill will supersede that authority. And if the governor signs it, in, and again, that's if the governor signs this into law, um, then all of those officials will be moved into an even year election cycle. But again, it does not touch the constitutional officers. So your DAs, clerks, sheriffs, uh, those are not touched. That's correct. 
Um, yeah, I also want you want to add to it. This is this is if you're a town supervisor listening to this, this is at a town level too. So uh, it this what on municipal levels this does not impact cities and villages. Um, right. That's also because of constitutional reasons. If if it, to make those elections to be be on even years, it would take a constitutional change um, and a referendum of the people to adopt that. Um, the this this impacts directly county. And town officials, unless they are that uh, that subgroup that Ryan just described, that are that are considered constitutional officers. But any county legislator, any town supervisor, this this bill, if signed into law, will apply to your future election um, after after 2025. Yes. So that's a bill that we're going to be looking for uh, the governor to veto. One of the last uh, pieces of legislation that is problematic, and the governor vetoed this last year is uh, relating to the wrongful death statute. Yep. So what is wrongful death? Can, can you just give our members a sense of what this is and why we're looking for a veto? Sure. Thanks, Ryan. It, yeah, it's got a couple names. It's uh, known also as the, the Grieving Family Act or the Wrongful Death Act. It's talking about wrongful death lawsuits and how they're handled in the state of New York. So um, an action occurs, uh, uh, results in uh, a passing of an individual, um, and there's an action based on that. In New York, to recover on those damages, uh, currently we only look at economic loss. Um, really, how old the individual is, how much uh, income potential they would have had uh, for that surviving family. Uh, this bill looks to expand a couple places. Uh, one, it expands the statute of limitations. First off, so you only in New York you have two years if you're a surviving family member to bring an action like this. This um, this bill would expand it to, I think, believe three and a half years. Um, then two, it would also expand how much an individual could recover. They do that by putting in uh, emotional loss and uh, the lo- lo- you know love loss, um, uh, you know emotional support of that that family member, which as well as economic loss. Um, so really, the the the, the Amount that the surviving family member would get is would could potentially be considerably more than they currently are entitled to in, in New York. Uh, they also expand what in this bill what a family member is considered uh, under the current law. It is only a child, a surviving child, parent, or spouse can bring this suit. Uh, this new law uh, just has close family members is is what they call it, and there's a list of what that potentially can be, but it's it could be. Pretty, pretty far ranging. Um, now, why is NISAC concerned with this bill? Uh, it, it's, it would really increase the, the uh, it, it's, it's, we get the policy and we understand for the reason for the change. That said, this will definitely lead to, and this is why the governor vetoed it last year, uh, an increase in liability insurance. Uh, medical malpractice is really a big area you see uh, that this, these kind of suits going on. So, medical bills, hospital bills, uh, nursing home bills, um, and counties have these kind of suits as well. We're talking about a, a really a incre- large increase in the costs on, on uh, county government, on the healthcare system. Um, and we definitely, although we get the policy, we need some kind of support on on the fiscal end on this because it's it would be be it's relative. It's going to drive insurance premiums. It will drive insurance and premiums. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. And okay. for those counties that are self insured, um, mm. yeah, 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 especially the ones with hospitals or um, yeah, sure. So Pat, you know, I 
I know we covered a lot of bills here, again, for our members. And again, we have a full report on our website, NISAC.org. It's right on the homepage. It explains, you know, the, the bills that pass through both houses. Um, it's the end of session recap report, and it'll walk you through all of this. You can read the bills in depth if you're interested. Is there anything else that you wanted to highlight for members, Pat, before we wrap up? Yeah, I think a bill that didn't make as much noise this year, but it passed, um, is the is is as it did last year, uh, and it didn't pass, is the Clean Slate Act, um, mm -hmm. and yeah. that definitely will impact county and county operations. What it is, uh, in a nutshell, it's a super sealing of criminal records. It's um, and your county clerk holds a lot of these records, um, uh, you know, felonies on the most part. Your towns, if you're a town supervisor, your your town clerk holds a lot of the misdemeanor records. Um, and this is, uh, the policy behind it is really to make sure that uh, one that's been arrested, that these records get kept more confidential and that they're not used against uh, an individual for future employment. There's a lot of, lot of nuance to this bill. There are areas now where um, certain employers, like in education um, and certain healthcare industries, they can still have access to these records. But this passed. Um, it will change the way what we can and can't send out um, through your county clerk's office. OCA is in charge of uh, a lot of this and how the system's going to work. The effective date's not for a year to even begin this, and most of the um, provisions that impact counties are two to three years down the line. So that there will be costs to this, but uh, to to put this program in place, we do have some years to work on. Well, exactly what are the costs going to be, and asking for this in future budget years. So this mm -hmm. is one that's passed, but I think in future budgets we're going to have to take a closer look at like, what some funding we're going to need. Some funding to make this policy. Uh, happen. We did get some wins here too, though. There used to be punitive damages potentially on if any of these records got out on your county, county clerk, uh, that has been taken out. Um, so it's, it's, um, we got some amendments that will yeah. make it a little easier. Yeah. Sure. So again, thank you everyone for tuning in. My name is Ryan Gregoire, NYSAC's legislative director, and I'm joined today by Pat Cummings, NYSAC Council. Again, thank you, and we'll look forward to seeing you again soon. to this episode of NYSAC's County Conversations podcast. Keep tuning in for more county government-focused conversations and make sure to subscribe to stay up to date.